At Denton's, we recently conducted a survey of in-house counsel from around the world on key trends as it relates to how law departments are enabling that revenue growth across their organization, how they're protecting the organization from risk, all while really operating in this dynamic we talk about, which is often expressed as more for less, right? That constant pressure on budget and on resources. So we dug into a number of themes, including around efficiency within the law department, and learned that many are actually taking a step back and focusing on assessing and and optimizing those workloads across the team and looking at how automation can be used as a way to eliminate routine and administrative tasks. But one item that is clearly on the agenda for many is finding greater efficiency when engaging with outside counsel. So if this is on your agenda, you'll want to tune into this discussion today with James Arnold, Head of Legal Project Management for Denton's UK, Ireland and Middle East. Prior to joining Denton's, James was actually in-house as a legal project manager for a multinational financial institution. James, thanks so much for joining me today. Now, in your view, what's one of the easiest ways that in-house teams can ensure that their law firm engagement is really efficient and optimized? No, sure. No, hi, Joanna. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, no, that, that's really interesting. I think that one of the big tips, and it sounds relatively straightforward, would be communication and transparency. So clearly communicating your priorities and desirable outcomes at every step of the way uh, and engaging outside counsel at this, in this way um, to, to effectively allow them to effectively scope. Um, you'll end up with a much more robust fee quote and more certain budget, which will enable you or the in-house teams to effectively manage um, your legal spend. Um, and then the other one, which people often neglect to do is the importance of feedback. So once you've done a transaction, done a matter, done a project um, successfully, actually having that conversation around what's worked, what hasn't worked. And it's uh, having that open, um, honest conversation to enable feedback and um, improvement next time you work with a particular law firm. James, let's dive in a little bit further into what do you mean when you talk about scope for a particular matter? Yeah, sure. So ultimately, a scope is you know the work, what work is needed to finish a project, which involves uh, getting the information required. So this is from the law firm's point of view. It's getting the information required in order to start working on that particular project, including um, what objectives need to be met, what tasks need to be completed in order to meet your requirements and expectations. So it has to have a starting point. So a, a great area to start would be you're defining what is the problem. You know, why are you actually coming to outside counsel for this particular bit of work? Is it because you don't have the resources for it? Is it because you haven't got the technical expertise for it? And those just just the answers to those uh, questions would actually provide really valuable context to to the law firm. And then secondly, you know, what cut tasks do you need to or does the firm need to do in order to complete the objectives? And then finally what does good actually look like? What does the end product or deliverable going to be? Um, and that's a, a really important. They're, they're, I guess they're the, the mandatory things that you, you would include and kind of make up what a scope actually is. The other one I did mention earlier is yeah, what the priorities are. There's always the the, um, the age-old sort of project management triangle of, of time versus quality versus cost. You know, what is your priority? Is it this has to be done really, really quickly. Um, is it actually, do you know what? This is an internal document only. Where's it, where's it actually going to go to? Um, therefore, it doesn't necessarily need to be of the highest quality. Or is it is it something that it's going to go externally? It's going to regulate and actually needs to be absolutely, you know, the Rolls-Royce solution. So having that conversation around what your priorities are it is, is really important too. And then it's really about providing 
as much detail as you know. Obviously, there are uncertainties and there's going to be things that you're not certain about. But um, uh, uh, but but where you can, defining what is in scope and then what is not in scope. And then when there are uncertainties and things that you're not, you're not sure of, um, you're making assumptions. And if you're going out in a capacitive tender, for instance, just making sure that um, you set out as many assumptions as possible to ensure that the firms that are quoting for a bit of work are actually um, apples for apples. What you're getting is the same across all firms. So where there are unknowns and uncertainties, um, you are giving some sensible assumptions um, that, that where possible, of course. Now, James, I can imagine that um, through the process of scoping, everyone's going to have maybe a different approach for how they share information, what they share, um, how they approach those conversations with their outside counsel. Have you seen a law department maybe use a template within their team? Yeah, I have actually, and it, not. It, it, I've had I've seen templates that cover you know what a proposal should include in terms of minimum things and minimum requirements and and the absolute bare bones plus some extras. Um, and it doesn't have to be anything complicated as well. So I've seen some very basic templates and I've seen some more complicated ones. But in my experience, that the simpler the better when it comes to when it comes to um, when it comes to all things scoping and pulling together RFPs. So if you are going to use a checklist or a template for that scoping, what are the things that you might want to include on there? What are the, what are the really most important bits of information that you want to capture? So it will vary significantly depending on the nature of the matter or transaction. But as a guide, some of the areas which should be included in an RFP or statement of work would include as an essential, you'd have to have the background of the problem, uh, all the objectives, you know, what's the issue. Then you'd have the deliverables, what's the format, what's the style of the actual output of the project, and then going through to any key timelines, any milestones, what's the schedule, anything that you that, that, that you uh, have any clarity on there, and then a task list, as well as expected outcomes and the success criteria. So what does good look like? Um, they are what I would consider you know, the essential elements of a scope of work. And then you kind of go on to the nice-to-haves, which would be, again, if you know your number of jurisdictions that the, the that the, that the firm or outside counsel might be likely to work with. Um, what are the different work types? What are the different product lines that are in scope? Um, uh, what's out of scope? Is there anything that's specifically out of scope? Any jurisdictions that are specifically out of scope? Any third parties? This is quite a, quite a big one that's often missed. Is that any third parties that that they're that a bit expect, expected to uh, to work with? Any third party law firms or um, uh, or counsel or um, experts or um, uh, technology vendors or e-discovery vendors or whatever whatever it might be that we'd need to inter interact with, any relevant technologies that they'd need to interact with, any you know, foreign language, translation requirements that are needed, any of those sort of details, anything that would affect um, or, or impact their, uh, their ability to, to price and scope and to make a judgment on what efforts required on their part. And then you've got you know, project-specific um, things like for, for a corporate transaction for instance the buyer the seller details what the dd approach would be um what that how many documents are going to be there and then we're looking at litigation there's a lot around you know document volumes document types number of witnesses that sort of thing so as much around that as um is as possible so once the law firm has been engaged how are you making sure that you're effectively managing that process during the engagement uh, in order to ultimately, you know, effectively manage the outcome, but also the costs through the process? Um, sure. I mean, the first step, and I guess it's probably the most straightforward one, is that 
make sure that it is actually managed to make sure there is a process in place um too often you know what, what i've seen where a scope is agreed at the beginning of a project and it isn't then managed it isn't it isn't documented and it isn't revisited and and it isn't managed throughout the duration of the, of the, of the transaction so it's really important that at the beginning of an engagement things are set off on the right foot and processes are put in place to enable effective scope management so for instance and i mentioned it earlier making sure that the scope is actually documented and then putting a process in place to manage changes in scope, which should also be documented. Um, and then part of this is ensuring that who agreeing who is authorised to actually change the scope. So who within your team in the, in the house team is authorised to um, make additions to that scope. Um, and this prevents any confusion or ambiguity throughout the project, which could lead to out of scope work being completed, um, which could obviously impact the budget. Um, and because obviously if if a junior lawyer on on, on your team may not have the over overarching sort of strategic view of what the ob overall objectives are and what how the, what the, what the how the project is progressing and they may may not be in the best position to actually authorize changes of scope and so what i've seen previously is um, a, a, a more junior lawyer in-house lawyer has told a uh, lawyer please can you do this extra bit of scope um, work this out of scope and that hasn't been documented and then they've gone ahead and done that bit of work and incurred extra costs for it. And then at the end of the project, when they've come to negotiating those fees, it hasn't been documented. And actually, the, 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 the more senior in-house uh, lawyers didn't actually approve that authorization of scope. And so you've then got a, a disagreement around are we going to pay for that or not? And so the way to get around that is making sure that all the scope changes are authorised and clearly documented. Um, and then obviously, it's it, it, if that's not done correctly, costs very quickly go out of control. And I've seen it go wrong um, a, a number of times when scope's not documented, it's not managed, it's not revisited and tracked, which means that the budget effectively is um, quite significantly blown ultimately. Now, James, it, it sounds like it might be a lot of work to pull this all together, but think really could be helpful in, in terms of making sure that communication between the law firm and the instructing council is clear, that fees can be more accurately estimated during the RFP process and, and budgets obviously more likely to be managed and, and um, optimized. But thank you so much for joining me today, James. It was a lot of fun to, uh, to have this conversation and, and look forward to uh, connecting again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Johan.